Welcome to Root Words, a podcast that explores agriculture and cooking's role in connecting us to our landscape and our communities. I'm Stephen Abatel. Root Words is a collaboration between Vermont Farmers Food Center, Shrewsbury Agricultural Education and Arts Foundation, Shrewsbury Historical Society, WEXP, and many other community members. The project began in 2017 and was made possible by support from the National Endowment for the Humanities, as well as from this community. Throughout this podcast, you're going to be hearing stories from people around the Rutland County region in the heart of Vermont, a region rich in agriculture, family farms, a region that's a pastoral working landscape. These stories are going to be each little windows into what a regional food system really looks like on the community level. We're excited to introduce you to some passionate folks working with the land and with food and bringing communities together. So please pull up a chair and enjoy. On this episode of Root Words, we're going to go back in time to when families worked the farms with the help of their family draft horses. And we'll see this world through the eyes of Alan Mills, farmer from Florence, Vermont. All right, so we've got Scott Corsell from Alchemy Gardens uh, that we're having this conversation with again. How you doing, Scott? Doing great. Glad to be here. Thanks, Steve. What do you? Uh, what, what do we had going on on the the farm at this time of year? Oh, lots of planting and yeah, basically just trying to get stuff in the ground as fast as possible. Now that it's warm enough, so cranking it out. So uh, before uh, a couple years ago, we started doing these storytelling events at the Russellville Schoolhouse out here in Shrewsbury, and yeah. one of the one of the folks that showed up for this was a gentleman named Alan Mills. Do do you remember Alan? I, th- I think I do remember meeting him. But uh, he's uh, he's got some great stories. He um, he shared those with us out in Shrewsbury, and we thought that it would be nice to kind of um, go back in time a little bit with our, our storytelling here, and kind of hear a little bit of what it was like to run a family-run farm sure. um, back in days where they actually used a lot of horsepower. They had a small tractor, but they used draft horses for their horsepower. Oh wow! Very cool. How, about, how much uh, how much family affair kind of work do we have uh, in Alchemy Gardens? Oh, um, more of the, I guess, sort of having little kids out in the fields, having fun and getting exposed to plants and gardening, and um, but not getting a lot of utility out of the children at this point. <laughs> uh, you know, Ella does help in the greenhouse at times and can be can be helpful when she gets into it which is awesome to see um remy is just toddling around and doing his thing and very excited so it keeps the inspiration up on the farm but we're not you know planning on adding a bunch of new kids to the mix in order to get the farm (laughs) chores done or anything like that don't see that as a quick um quick way to make it all work Alan's family went as far as actually creating uh, smaller kid-sized tools to help with the haying oh, wow. and that sort of thing. So I think, uh, yeah, let's, let's, um, let's go meet Alan Mills out on the farm in Florence, Vermont. That sounds great. My name is Alan Mills. I've lived on this farm here in Whipple Hollow for uh, 75 years. Uh, not my uh, working profession as a farmer, 
for 35 years I worked at General Electric. Uh, but I always helped my dad out on the farm until he retired in uh, about 1968 or 9. Uh, he sold all his dairy cattle and uh, he kept heifers uh, for, for a while, for a few years and then did some crop. Uh, he sold crops after that you know, that we harvested and uh, then after that uh, the farm has been leased out ever since by various different uh, farmers in the area. Okay, well there's a there's a story every place you go. <laughs> practically, practically every footstep because we've been over it all and, and uh, you know there's a story everywhere. Right, even right here, if you look out here in the meadow to the left, uh, I can remember Oh, I was a, a young boy, probably uh, 10 or 12, and my father and I were trying to get a huge rock out of this meadow. The only thing we had was a team of horses, no, uh, no tractor or hydraulic equipment, um, and we worked between um, logging chains and, and the horses, keep dropping the, the chain over the rock, and starting the horses out and keep pulling it till we finally managed to get it out of the hole. Then after we got that out, we had to roll it onto a, what we called a stone boat, uh, which was a wooden uh, drag sled that we rolled the stone onto and dragged it off and, and put it at the edge of the meadow where it wouldn't bother. And you had to do a lot of that back well, then. A lot of well, work was done yes, that way. Yes, yeah. I mean, a lot of the a lot of the stone clearing. A lot of the stone clearing had already been done. Um, but uh, every now and then, you as you were plowing, you'd find a new stone. <laughs> Where it came from, I don't know. But uh. it's just so cool to hear about. Like uh, when you talk to old farmers, you often hear about using the stone boat. And it's like a tool that we don't talk about. You know, people will move rocks around with the bucket of their tractor now, or maybe some folks are still dragging a stone boat around, but a lot of that work was done for us, you know, 150 years ago when they were actually like first breaking the ground here and pulling all the stones out of the meadows, all that glacial till left over and piling it up to keep the sheep in. And like when you drive through Shrewsbury and you just see endless snaking stone walls and thinking of all the people that put those together and now there's, you know, woods growing up all around all of it. But, but yeah, when you talk to like the older generation of farmers, stone boat is a thing that you're going to hear pretty, pretty regularly. And that's just like, I don't know, it's so interesting to think of tools that were once like central to your farming operation that just aren't something we're doing anymore and we and and our, and farmers today folks today are still benefiting from this yeah of course and um the stones keep pushing their way out of the earth too you know just that freeze thaw just like you get a new crop of stones all the time they just slowly work their way up to the surface but that said i mean a lot like like he mentioned a ton of the stone clearing has already been done. And some places are more abundant with, you know, new crops of rocks, but um, yeah, we definitely are still benefiting from those people out there doing this hard work 150 years ago. 
When, when do you suspect uh, the original stone clearing had been done? Oh gosh, I, I don't know. The, the uh, My great-grandfather owned this farm. Uh, he moved up from uh, Massachusetts in 1850. And so, and he started buying farms through this area. Uh, and he bought this one. He also owned uh, six other farms right in this particular area. Uh, he owned a mile square uh, from here to the top of the of this Pittsford Ridge. Uh, it was at that time he was not really a dairy farmer. He was uh, he sold meat, so he, he raised uh, mostly sheep. Uh, in as far as pasture land was concerned and uh, the pastures went from here like I say to the top of the ridge and my father told about going up there and, and looking for sheep that had kind of been came missing and he'd have to gather them up every now and then when was that how long ago oh gosh well well my father was born in uh, 1908 so it was somewhere Somewhere in the vicinity of, of uh, his youth, you know. Mm -hmm. Okay, this, this barn uh, was really the, probably the carriage barn. Uh, in that time, the, the horse barn being on this end, and there was a shop on the other end, uh, hayloft above, and then uh, the the openings down below were for uh, the various carriages, wagons that they used at that time. Uh, my father milked probably between 30 and 40 head, mostly around 30 of, of dairy cattle. But it, my father was the dairy farmer. And my, my grandfather did also somewhat, but of course it was different at that time because they, they uh, the, the whole operation was different. The dairy farm, the milk product that we uh, sold out of here, originally left here in milk cans. Um, and uh, my father trucked them to Florence to the milk plant. And then at that time, uh, the cans were, were dumped and they went to H.P. Uh, Hood and Son. And it was, it was, um, the milk was shipped to uh, Boston. Uh, so it, it was a product uh, from the animals, from the land that uh, fed the community. In the early farm years that, that I'm remembering and referring to, this was, uh, I guess you'd call it the, the last, uh, horse farm. We did all our work here primarily with the horses. We did have one small uh, Ford Ferguson tractor that my dad bought new from uh, John Stewart in, in Cuttingsville. Uh, but other than that, all the work was done with horses. Uh, it was, uh, I, in fact, at the time I remember growing up as a child and being somewhat uh, embarrassed by the fact that because the all the other farmers in the area at that time had this huge massive uh, what I thought were massive 
farmalls and, and John Deere's and, and uh, uh, a farmer up above had all of her tractors. And all my dad had was a little Ford Ferguson and, and a team of horses. And we did it all with those. But now, now I'm very much proud of that. Wow. Yeah, no, that's interesting. Um, just, you know, thinking about someone doing it a traditional way from a previous generation is, yeah, it's just interesting to think of what those parameters were around that when everyone was moving to the new technology and someone was doing something a bit different to the point where, like, he felt embarrassed about it a little bit, you know, because the neighbor farms had these nice big tractors that are now probably like the old Ford that I use, you know, the two main tractors we use on our farm are a 1954 and a 1955. And those were like fancy tractors at the time that are now like very antique tractors that we're still using. Yeah, so why is it Remy gonna have an interview like this someday? <laughs> I don't know why my old man was using You never went to the new stuff. <laughs> well, that's something, I, I feel like there's a lot of a lot of farmers we know anyway that are, uh, or just actually it's across the whole country, there's a lot of younger farmers that are Kind of going, going back and doing some, doing some more things, some things in the old way, right? Yeah, sure. Well, there's also people, you know, there's a whole movement around people using horses again for draft power, and that's something I've never gotten involved with, but I've always been super fascinated by. And Alan, as it turns out, was always fascinated by something he calls horse sense. Well, it's, it's something that it's something that I've always believed. I guess is that. Uh, we have we humans, we humans have um, what is it? Five senses: sight, hearing, smell, touch, and taste. And uh, I think probably we had it many years ago. Um, we probably we probably didn't know it. Uh, we probably some of us probably don't even like to think about it. But it's uh, what the animals have, I think, that that um, we've lost is compassion one for another. Uh, compassion and, I mean, true feeling um, beyond, beyond, uh, beyond our own sense of, of self-gratification. It's a compassion for one another that the animals know that we don't. Uh, why is it? Why is it there that uh, that uh, s certain animals can sense in us diseases that we have uh, before we even know it? Uh, that's the things I'm talking about. That kind of compassion. It's too bad we've lost that. All of our technology are important tools. But um, I, th I think we get obsessed by those, and we don't uh, take time to think about one another. Everything that we did, uh, the family was involved. Uh, all, all the work that was done, uh, somehow the family was involved. Uh, my sisters and myself would be out in the fields together. Uh, working the working uh, the different processes 
uh, of especially haying that was that was the big uh, portion we we would uh, my father um, mowed the the hay mowed the hay with uh, a small Ford Ferguson tractor. Uh, we had no uh, hay conditioners at the time. It was just a cutter bar mower, and uh, so then the hay needed to be dried. Well, it, it took it. That was a three-day process, from the and it had to be good weather from the time you cut it till you until uh, you got it in the barn. At that time, we did loose hay. Uh, we didn't even bale. So we, we oftentimes in the hilly areas where you couldn't get uh, a hay loader, we'd pick it up, we'd pick up the hay by hand. Uh, the hay was first mowed. Uh, it was then uh, turned over by hand, uh, loosened up from, the, from the, the stalks as they grew in the field uh, so that they would dry. And we did that myself, my sisters, the whole family would be out there with pitchforks and we'd spread the entire field to get it to dry faster. Then there was the raking process, which was done with horses, and then the haying process, which was done with, with horses. The um, hay had to be raked with a uh, dump rake. Um, the windrows tumbled into small bunches and then pitched onto the wagon. Uh, that took a family to do that, and that's the family connection is that being an example of all the work processes on the farm that uh, the family had to be involved in. Uh, one person couldn't do it all. It, it took the family to do it. So that, that connects you to, to every piece of land that there is here. This is a, is a very unique farm. It's a road that's uh, off from the main Whipple Hollow Road, uh, which is a back road itself. But once you come up the Allen Mills Road and you come into this farm valley, it's a unique spot in itself in that it's, it's, uh, there are no neighbors, uh, no other houses can be seen. It's the, the whole farm lays out in front of you. So that's the connection the family had to the farm. You were, you were all here in this one particular spot, all working together uh, without distractions uh, other than uh, nature, the weather, and uh, how, how to accommodate to all this as a family unit. But family then, as I'm thinking about it meant much more maybe than it does today because because of the farming process we were all involved and that was a very deep connection uh, the family was the farm the family was the farm <laughs> what do you what do you what are your thoughts on that I'm trying to think like what is comparable in today's world like, what do we do that, like, the whole family is involved in that is of, like, great consequence? Mm -hmm. It has real stakes. Yeah, you know? And what would that feel like? Doing that with your family because that's just what has to be done. You all have to be out there doing it or 
you might have to sell one of your horses or something, or you know, you might not have quite enough to eat or whatever. It just, I think there's something super powerful of that's been probably largely lost there of of engaging with your family in that way. And what of that does translate to to your to your family to your farm? Quite different, really. You know, I can't say that I can. Mm-hmm. I mean, we still have the benefit of my kids are growing up on a working farm right yeah that's what i was gonna say is that your that your kids are gonna you know just having the chickens and the chicken coop out there they've got a different experience with the area right around their house yeah than we did even yeah and um and yeah just seeing like you know we get our food out of the walk-in cooler that's that we try to load with as much food as possible to bring to the market and that's what we eat out of and that's the majority of what we eat is stuff that we produced on the farm. So there is, there is that, but you know, not that Alan Mills being 75, not that they couldn't go to the grocery store or something. Right. They weren't living in that time, but his grandparents were, mm-hmm. you know, where it was of that level of consequence mm-hmm. that when the, you know, when the weather's right, when the sun's shining, you make hay, yep. you drop whatever else you're doing. And that's why like kids still don't go to school in the summer yeah. it's like a totally different world yeah. and it's not really like required anymore that your kids are home to help as needed but but yeah we still have that legacy of you know kids having the summer off mm-hmm. which i hope sticks my greatest inspiration in life i guess was uh my parents themselves um and and they were they were the basic center of the family. Um, when I think about my mom, my mother's greatest gift to herself was the gift of herself to others. My mother was love, and uh, no one ever left this valley feeling that they were not loved. And certainly fed, because she fed everybody that came here. I spoke about my dad. When I was a child, I used to walk with him in his, uh, usually behind him, and I'd see this massive shadow that he would cast. And I would think to myself as a child, uh, Lord, let me be like him. And now as a grown man my dad has has passed some years ago i still see a cloud pass over this valley and as it passes over i see the massive shadow and i say to myself lord let me be like him Um, i'll never reach that goal but it's it's certainly uh, a goal to aspire to He just seemed to know what was right and how to do it. And uh, just just a a great example of a man um, with a work ethic that uh, I have seen nowhere else in in any one person. Uh, And extreme compassion for the land and the animals 
itself. And uh, I don't think you need anything more than that. Thank you, Steve, for recording Alan and just really, honestly, such an inspiration to me and such important work, I think, to preserve some of these stories and and hear about older ways of what it looked like in the very communities that we reside and work in now, you know, how much they've changed and looking at the different sort of iterations of what different people did on the land mm -hmm. due to what the markets were at the time, you know, raising sheep for wool and then maybe for meat at some point, it sounds like, and moving into dairy as that industry was like, was a good option and then maybe moving out of dairy and leasing it out to a different family when when that was really no longer a very viable mm -hmm. you know business to run and that continues today it just mm. keeps changing over it keeps shifting shape shifting sort of like you know a lot of folks um if i tell like particularly older generation farmers or people just that grew up in vermont that I'm a farmer, they often, you know, are confused when I tell, when they're sort of like, well, how many head or something like that? And no, I actually grow vegetables or whatever it may be. And they don't actually necessarily see that. That doesn't fit their picture of what a farmer is, mm -hmm. but it's always been this continuous changing sort of dynamic of yeah. different markets coming yeah. and going. And, it's great for us to to reconnect with the past in this way to like to to under you know better more deeply fully appreciate and understand our present in the in the places that we're we're living the place that we live yeah no totally we've got rhubarb planted here that i found at my great great grandparents place and some mm. grapes from my great grandparents place and there's some remnants of those farms and for me to walk through those spaces and imagine them having some piece of that like living legacy on the mm -hmm, farm mm -hmm. in a place to be able to set your roots into a place and and you know to have that generational sort of knowledge and memory and stories of your place it's such a rich feeling to be connected to our sense of place like that it's very cool and i think i i think uh vermont has a really just a great kind of opportunity for that, that folks, you know, all of us that call this place home now um, can kind of tap into that in a way that I yeah. think we can all get that depth of our, of our place here and learn more and, um, and all of us feel more at home. This episode of Root Words was produced by Stephen Abatel and Scott Corsell with special thanks to Alan Mills. Our musical themes are by the Salt Ash Serenaders. We are a project of the Vermont Farmers Food Center and SAGE. Thank you all for listening and for being a part of our local food system. This podcast has been made possible by generous support from the National Endowment for the Humanities. We'll catch you next time on Root Words.